applying the Ten Commandments to our, our everyday life to 2022. And I know it is easy to look at it as an Old Testament document that has no bearing on today and that it has no bearing on my life today. And I would tell you that um, <clears throat> that's um, the trick of the enemy to look at the, the Ten Commandments as not being applicable. And I guess maybe for lack of a better, um, uh, a better analogy, we could look at it as um, towns on a road, if you will. And you, you know, if you were driving on Interstate uh, 70 and um, you came down here at Newark and you were going to the next town, uh, it might be a Pataskala exit or an Etna, and then Columbus, and if you kept going, Dayton, and if you keep going, uh, you know, you would, uh, uh, well, Springfield, and maybe the Dayton exit, and then you, you keep going, and you're going to go to Indiana and Indianapolis, and, you know, eventually St. Louis, and you just keep going down the road. And it's where do I get off track um, and how does that road sort of want to take me? And I know most of us can easily say, well, I have not, and I look at the far end of the road. But then as we look from our heart, it begins to have some other uh, connotations. So when we look at these 10 greatest struggles, and we have talked about one and two and three, and we looked at them as the commandments, and you're welcome to uh, log on and go through some of the sermons, but uh, the first one was, is there a God? I'm not sure if there's a God. I'm not sure if there's really a God, and if he, if he is, you know, if this is his word, and this was written by men and, and there's always that uh, that desire to uh, disprove it. I know uh, many years ago I read a book uh, that was called The Evidence That Demands a Verdict by a, an individual that wrote uh, trying to prove that this could not be the Bible and as he began uh trying to prove that it wasn't, he found so much evidence that it had to be God-inspired that he then actually converted and became a believer. But that's the first commandment, is that struggle with a God. The next one is, what am I going to worship? And how am I going to worship it? And what does it mean to worship? What does it mean to say that I can, uh, what am I going to bow down to? And what am I going to uh, make uh, part of my daily life? Is it a ritual? Is it just something that I do? Or does it demand my energy and my time? And uh, does it demand something for me? The third commandment has to do with struggling with truth. And that is that uh, you 
you know, that very, I'm sorry, my mouth, uh, that, you know, taking the name of the Lord in vain. I will not uh, take the name of the Lord in vain. And that's, you know, probably we have more people that pop off at the mouth now than ever before because we, you know, it used to be ju just words that we would call uh, slang words or by words or uh, idle words, gee and golly and gosh. Uh, I can remember my grandmother saying, you know, don't say that because G is short for Jesus and you know, you need to be careful. And maybe they don't teach that anymore because maybe now there's such poor language that is spoken. You would love for them to say golly or gosh, rather than what you hear. Anyway, so, uh, but does it make it easier on my mouth? No, I struggle with my mouth and, and, uh, and, and we struggle. Now we find folks with, uh, because of the quickness that they can respond on the internet and that all of a sudden electronically they've left a footprint of something they said or, you know, and then wish they could take it back and it's out there, you know? And it's like the old story of, you know, uh, <clears throat> the opening the feather pillow on a windy day. Once those feathers are gone, it's out there. So uh, that's the third commandment. The fourth commandment has to do, remember the Sabbath, has to do with time. And we talked about that in our time. The first thing God made holy was time and how important time is and how the enemy would like to steal from our time. And, uh, uh, you know, that we just sort of, and, and this was the longest commandment, the most important commandment, because uh, time slips and it goes and we go through this whole thing and time is, uh, you know, that struggle. And so it went, went through the stranger and so forth. And then the fifth commandment was honor your parents. And I know you may say, well, mine weren't the best and I didn't have a good set. But, you know, honoring those in authority and recognizing the importance of that word honor there is the same word that when that is translated in the King James Version where the Bible says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was not that he made his heart hard. He honored his heart. It was as if I do not, I am not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to force you. And as, as all of you know, that's one of the hardest things as a parent not to fall into, you know, <clears throat> oh, I can't believe you would treat your poor, old, dear father. Anybody ever heard, oh, I don't want to ask you that. How have you not, what are you doing? I, you know, mean, manipulate. I, after all I've done for you, Anyway, we've, we've all heard that, but yet it says honor. That is a struggle with authority. And then the struggle with peace, uh, the sixth commandment, of course, commandments five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Actually, five, six, seven, eight, and nine deal with my relationship with others. And 10 is the only commandment that deals with me, per se. 
It's kind of amazing when you look at the commandments. The sixth commandment having to do with peace, thou shalt not kill. And then the seventh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Dealing with purity, and we talked about that this morning, and that continuum that was there, and how Joseph responded. And the eighth commandment, dealing with integrity, thou shalt not steal. And how we can rob from others, and we can steal. And we talked about that this morning, and so now we've kind of found our way down to the last two. And here we are, Sunday night. Thank you for all for being here. The last two, struggle with truth. It's about whether or not your words can be trusted. There's a struggle that some people have with telling the truth. We call it spin. In fact, we have a whole TV series on spin city or how to spin things, you know. And we just tell a partial truth and we tell a little bit of the truth and then we don't tell the whole truth. Anybody know people that are good at just telling partial truth and getting, you know. And then I have, I, I have unfortunately run into people that, you know, wouldn't know the truth if it bit them. And they tell so many stories. And so they tell you a story and before long they come around and tell you another story and you're like, well, that story doesn't even match the first story. And he says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's what this is about, is about truth. Because before long, you recognize who is the most famous liar of them all. Jesus told us, John the 8th chapter. In fact, he used it. It's an amazing story. Uh, analogy. He said, you don't understand what I'm telling you. You can't even understand my words because you are of your father, the devil. Wow. And the lust of your fathers you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not where? In the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. For he is a liar and father of liars. How do you know when the devil's lying? When his lips are moving. Everything he said is going to be slanted. Yet the very opposite of that is God. Who Paul, when he wrote to Titus, he opened up his book. He said, God cannot lie and so whatever he's promised before the world began he will do it that's the difference and I know you've heard me mention the movie before a few good men some of you it's men not mem you remember the famous line when the, the attorney goes I want the truth And the colonel says, what? You can't handle the truth. You don't know, want to know what we're putting up with. Anybody ever remember that line? And we've almost reached a point in our society where 
Where is truth? In fact, you know, Romans the third chapter said, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeks after God. That's the truth. You're just naturally not going to seek after God. You have to make up your mind. You want to serve God, worship God, follow God, live for God. It doesn't just happen. You go, well, that you were raised that way. You were brought up that way. Oh, sure, that may have, I may have developed a habit, but I, we'll talk about habits. But, you know, when you go forward, you look in Revelation, the 21st chapter, and it says all liars are going to go where? All liars are going to go into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus was asked this question about truth when he was in the midst of the whole trial and Easter's coming and you remember what happened. Pilate said to him, are you a king? And Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. You remember what Pilate said? What is truth? Because there's political truth, there's political expediency. The truth is, the Jews have brought me this guy and they want me to crucify him. The truth is, they want me to be the one to sign his death warrant. The truth is, so you know what Pilate said? I find no fault at all. So what are you saying in this world that is so full of everything spin? And you know, you hear words, fake news, fake this, partial truth, the way you spin it, the way we can doctor photos and doctor news stories. And you know, it's like, how do we know what is truth? <clears throat> Paul wrote into Corinthians, if our gospel it is hid, it is hid to those that are lost. <clears throat> if our gospel is hid, that, that's where it is hidden. <laughs> Why? Because the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, shall shine unto them. So you have folks that are walking around believing whatever truth they want and ignoring who Jesus is because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because there's freedom in having the truth.
And how many understand that from a whole standpoint of relationships or job or whatever, when you are trying to hide something, when you are trying to live a lie, and then you don't truthful, there is a sense of I've got to keep the, what you know, keep juggling, and I can't let this one know what I'm doing. But this, and there's freedom in the truth. Now we we realize that these are the commandments that deal with who we are. And, and I'm not advocating, and listen to me very carefully because I especially want young folks to know this, I'm not advocating being a truth terrorist. There was a little game they used to play, truth or dare. How many ever heard of that? I told my children, you're absolutely, if anybody ever says play truth or dare, you say no, my dad refuses to let me play that. That's a stand I took. Why? Because they're not really trying to get to the truth because they love you. It's trying to get some pressure and I'm going to find out something so I can later manipulate you into doing something else. You understand? It's called, you know, truth or dare. And I... I that was my, you parents, you can do whatever. But I'm not talking about using truth to harm or to destroy or to tear down or the brutal truth. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I know there's some people, there's a ditch on both sides of the road and they go from one side to the other, you know. Well, I had to tell them the truth. You know, you, you're ugly, you're ugly as sin. I mean, what? When you were little, did your mother wash your face with a brick? My Lord. <laughs> well, I just told them because I wanted to tell them the truth. I'm not, I, that's not what I'm advocating. The Bible's very clear about it. It says speaking the truth in what? In love. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is used to the good and to the use of edifying. What does that mean? Building up. And that you may minister what? Grace to the hearers. Well, I just told them, they're gonna, you're going to keep acting like that? You're just going to bust hell wide open. That ministered a lot of grace, didn't it? That built them up. That encouraged them. You don't have to tell them, you know, well, keep going. You're splitting hell wide open. But at the same time, you know, you, they say, well, what do you think? You say, well, I don't think it's a good idea. Be honest. Be truthful. Don't bear false witness. Because we have a whole spirit in the world that they can't tell. And, and that's why Paul said it in Colossians. He said, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer. And this is a tough thing in a world. And I've, you know, you're not trying to soft soap it. You're not trying to settle it nice, but you're trying to say, I am not here to try to tear down or to attack or to, you know, beat you up, but I'm here to tell you the truth. Let me tell you, the truth is the Lord loves you. The Lord wants to help you. The Lord wants to change you. He wants to change your life. He wants to break every habit. That's who God is. 
And we tell it with as much grace. And that's number 10. Bearing false witness has to do with telling the truth. And I know some folks that struggle with that. The 10th commandment, the last one, my time, I know. 10th commandment is about what is drawing my heart. The commandment itself in Exodus says, Thou shalt not covet, everybody say covet, covet. thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, anything that is thy neighbor's. Now what does covet mean? I wish I had that. And probably every one of us have at some time thought, I wish I had a, because that's what advertisers are good at, for just pennies a day you can have this. And I, I understand the power of advertising, but it's not what God was trying to say with this commandment and this struggle that is in 2022 is that he is interested in the purity of my heart and motives. It's not enough to do what is right, but I also must be right. You understand what I'm saying? When you, when you look at religion as simply being committed to not doing wrong, but I don't let the power of the Holy Ghost changed me on the inside. That's what thou shalt not covet because I can sit here and you don't know whether I'm coveting or not. You know whether I'm stealing or murdering or lying, but you don't know whether I'm coveting. You don't know what's going on in my heart. You can't see it. Only God can judge it. Now, we can judge some of the actions, but I can't see what's going on in someone else's heart. That's why when, you know, the rich young man came to Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What did the Lord say? I'll give you some things to do. Do the law. And what did he say? Ching! Did that. Done it. And that's why the Lord just turns and says, okay, sell everything. Oh, he knew his heart wasn't right. Jesus could see into the heart and he knew it. all of his stuff meant more to him than making it to heaven. If he truly believed that this was a good master and the good master had just told him what to do, let me tick that box. But he couldn't tick it. You see, because most of our morality is either peer influence or fear influence. Until we reach a point where it's who I am. For little children, parents, you know, it's a little bit of fear influence. If you don't get this done, anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't want me to go off on you. 
And they go, wonder what will happen. I don't even want to go there. Huh? When you get older, maybe it's peer influence. What everybody else is doing, that's what I do. Neither one of those draw you closer to God. It can't be about what somebody else wants because I could stand here right now, today. I could say, okay, how many of you men stand up, pray every day, five times a day? How many men pray five times a day? If I were in Malaysia, parts of the Philippines, and I said, how many men pray five times a day? I have a whole Muslim population that would stand to their feet. I do it. Does it bring you in a better relationship with God? I don't know. I just do it because uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, the call to prayer, 6.30, 9.30, 11.30, Two thirty, four thirty, and all of you are here on Wednesday night. You say, "Well, we just do it because you do it. That's what we're supposed to do." At some point, it can't be fear, and it can't be peers. There's got to develop a relationship with Almighty God. That goes more than religion. I want to read his word. I want to talk to him. I want to be in his presence. I want to feel the touch of his spirit. It's got to become something more than just, well, that's what we do on Sunday morning. That's what we do. And then that's the only, because I want to tell you something. At some point, the Lord is interested in what's going on in the heart. In fact, when you read Saul or Paul, the Bible says he himself reports, I kept the law and I was faultless. That's what he calls himself. Read it in Philippians third chapter. He said, I was zealous, I was faultless. I kept every moment of the law. Then you read what he said in Romans, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known less except the law, law said. And what commandment did he quote? Number 10, thou shalt not covet. He said, I would not have even known sin. Lust, desires. He said, but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Old English word. It means four forbidden desires and lust and covetousness. And you know, to put it in our understanding, if I keep saying, okay, whatever you do, when you leave here tonight, we have fresh brownies out on the foyer, but don't anybody take one. They're hot, 
but don't take them. Pass them up, don't eat one. Now I've talked enough about brownies that some of y'all are saying, are there really brownies out there? The more I talk about don't doing it, some of you may be even tempted to drive by someplace and buy brownies. Those old nasty ones that are in cellophane. I wouldn't be hungry for this, but pastor just kept on about brownies. He wouldn't shut up. He says the law stimulated my desires and lusts. For without law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What are you saying? He ends this up with his, in Galatians, he said, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. To do what? To bring us to Christ. <clears throat> that we might be justified. What is he saying? There's probably no one in here, 100%, I'll go, 99.9, .9, that haven't at some time sinned on the inside. You may not have murdered, you may not have stolen, you may not have done some of these other things, but you have had covetousness in the heart. And what the Lord was basically trying to say is, you know what that should do? When I read through those, it needs to make me know, I need you, Lord, to wash me and cleanse me and touch me why? Because that's how easy I can get off track. I can get off with my mouth. I can get off with my time. Huh? It was to bring us to Christ that we would be justified by faith. That's why in the Old Testament, David said, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. What are you saying, Pastor? Covetousness. Kids do it. I want what they have. If you get them one, I want one. Doesn't matter what it is. You can have them better at home. I'll throw my own grandchildren under the bus. We were eating lunch. I took the last of the paper towels off and we were passing them out as napkins and I grabbed the middle part of it. And I went, doo, 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 doo. and one of my two grandchildren said, wait, wait, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, I want it. I want to get my, I want that before you start giving it to anybody else. Huh? Because I was playing with it. I didn't hear, uh, you know, a musical repertoire after that. I just said, sure, gave it to them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Somebody else is having fun. Somebody else is doing it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. Huh? My grandchildren are young. I, I don't blame them. That's part of us. That's the part that mom and dad, not grandparents, we have to, we don't care. It's in them. Mom and dad have to train it out of them. Pray it out of them. 
But you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, I'm, I'm smart enough to know it's hard to buy for one and not buy, especially when they live together. Because there's just something about an attitude that can come on, look what I got. And so to keep them from having fallen prey to that attitude, okay. What are you saying? And do we try to teach them? Yes, and I love them. They're doing great. They're learning. But there's a point in which when you reach a certain age, hopefully you put away childish things and you have learned in whatsoever state I am in. Lord, you've been good to me. It's what I talked about being a giver or a taker today. Am I a giver? Have I, have I been blessed? And mom and dad have to teach them, you know, don't forget, look at all the good things because it's in us to look to somebody else and these commandments, it's that sense of covetousness that I, you know, I was playing a great song today and somebody coveted my horn. I won't even say who. But you know what? Have we not ever been guilty of doing the same thing? Why, Lord? Why did you? What? What's going on? How come? When we reach a point where that's why Paul, who was in jail, he said, I'm in jail. I'm in prison. I'm in chains. But you know what? The Lord's been good to me. The Lord's been good to me. In whatever state I am in, I can say, you know what? The Lord's been good to me. Has everything gone my way? No, but the Lord has been good to me. I've been blessed. When you begin to realize these commandments were to stop what's, what we struggle with and we have a world and it's so sad when you hear of young folks and you hear of people that may have, you know, and, and we reread it and we hear it and we go, I can't believe they would harm themselves, take their own life, would even consider that when they've got so much. They're a movie star, they're a this, they have a that. They have this, they have that. Huh? And we've all looked and shaken our head and said, what was it? Because it was something on missing right here. And that's the part that God is alone able to fill. You can buy all the wonderful trumpets Bounty makes a good one. You can members mark from Sam's, they have great ones. It's amazing what you can play with a members mark horn. Doo -doo -doo. Huh? But if it doesn't do something here, if you don't make a change here, you know what? You can spend your whole life trying to get more, to get something else. If I just had, if I had what they had, if I had what they had, and I quit counting my blessings on what God has given me. And I quit saying, Lord, I am so blessed. I, you've been so good. What are you saying? I'm saying there's a spirit that is in our whole world that I, I want, you know, 
I want, I want, I want, I want. And I never take time to worship. I never take time to praise. I never take time to say, Lord, you've been good to me. You say, well, you know, but you don't understand. Here's a man in jail who's writing a letter and he says, I've, under, I've learned. You have to learn this. In whatever state I'm in, I'm still going to worship the Lord. Let's stand. Hallelujah.